0: This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska. A place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net.
1: Your Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Timothy. I'm going to read from 3.16 to 4.5. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching... Rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry.
0: Thank you, Janelle. All right. Well, hey, that was a wonderful video. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Noah and his character uh, says, I don't play by the rules. You know, I've learned in Alaska, there are a lot of people that, <laughs> that don't play by the rules. That's a very interesting thing, isn't it? I want you for a moment to stop and in your mind, try to imagine living in a time when there is pressure inside and outside of the church, uh, pressure to look at the Word of God differently, perhaps to change it to to, to suit people's pursuits of of pleasure and their personal interests. Uh, imagine a time and there's competing voices claiming uh, to have the truth. Imagine a time in which those voices kind of synchronize and, and begin to take maybe passages of scriptures and traditions of faith and mix them with other faith traditions and religions and beliefs. Imagine a time in which even using the word truth is questioned because truth is relative and uh, everyone has their own sense of what is true and what is not. And Alan and Kim, what's true for you may be good even if it's not true for me. Imagine living in such a time. Imagine living a time in which the church is experiencing more and more pressure and disdain from the dominant culture around it. Imagine living in such a time. Can you do that? You know, that's exactly the context of our passage today. 2 Timothy is the very last letter uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote it shortly before his death, his martyrdom. And he's writing to a young man, a protege. His name is Timothy. And uh, Timothy is an evangelist. He's a teacher in, in a town called Ephesus. We read that in the book of Acts. And, of course, Paul was very involved in founding the church there and ministering there. Uh, it was a very cosmopolitan place. It was a place that had differing beliefs and traditions. And uh, Timothy, as this young evangelist, his teacher, is being exhorted by Paul. Uh, this is Paul's last time to really speak to him and impress upon him what is really important in his calling and that he needs to fulfill his calling. This is a time in which the church is struggling to remain vital. It's a time in which Paul is a, a leader in the church and, and the mission to the Gentiles. He's writing to Timothy to remind Timothy that your job is to help the church pursue Christ and Christ's priorities in the world. And the way you're going to do that is to remain faithful, Timothy, to the teaching that you had received from the time that that you were a child through your, your grandmother and your mother. You need to stand firm in your godly heritage and the foundation of Scripture. Timothy, the Word of God, which has always been central in your life, needs to remain central, especially now. In your ministry where where false teachers are rising up and they are tickling the ears of of people, telling them what they want to hear and in doing so, giving them permission to live however they would choose in a way that, that makes them happy. That's the context of the passage, which, by the way, In just a few verses above 2 Timothy 3.16, when when Paul is reminding Timothy that he needs to stand firm in the Scriptures that were implanted in his heart since he was a child, it reminds us here at Community Covenant Church that the Word of God is important, but it's especially important in the lives of our children. That as we are teaching them, instructing them in God's Word, that Word is implanted in their heart and the Spirit of God is watering it and nurturing it and we know that the Word of God never returns void. And how important is that? Timothy as an example. He became the man of God that, that he was because of the input of godly people in his life when he was a child. Do you know right now as we are beginning to... To collect names of people and arrange teachers for our, our Sunday morning program. Do you know right now we're seven teachers short? Do you know that? As you look in the bulletin, the worship guide as Tyler likes to call it, on the left hand side it tells you that there are opportunities for you to be involved in children's ministry. That's important. And if you don't get anything else from the passage we're looking at today, you realize how important that is. Because our world needs Timothys. Our church needs to raise up Timothys who will stand on the centrality of the Word of God and take the Word of God into the world and and, and teach in the church so that people might be equipped for every good work. We need men and women like Timothy. But how are they going to be raised up unless we as the family of God come alongside our, our families and the parents and, and help in the instruction of their children? So I want to invite you but also challenge you this morning. This is an aside, but it's relevant to the text. That's why the Word of God is central, isn't it? Because it changes how we live. It changes our perspective. It, it helps us set priorities for life. But I want to invite you and challenge you um, to talk to Pam to find out about how you can make a difference in the life of a, of a, of a boy or a girl how you can be a part of God's work uh, we have that need I believe that right now even as I'm speaking that God is prompting some of you to find out more no commitment by getting information right but I encourage you to do that would you do that uh, I love teaching you on Sunday morning um But I'll tell you what, I'd be tempted if there aren't enough teachers maybe just to take one of the hours and go teach the kids. Is that important? So I want to just encourage you with that. So, this is a church in Ephesus that's struggling with all these issues. It sounds familiar because it's like the church today. And really what they're seeking is vitality. Now, as our church begins the vitality pathway as a congregation... As we're looking at the ten markers of a healthy missional church, uh, we want to examine ourselves with those markers and say, how are we doing? Because our desire is to be a vital church. Well, let's just look at the definition of vitality. And vitality is not a goal. It's merely a byproduct of doing good ministry over a long period of time and the moving of the Holy Spirit And doing good ministry over a long period of time requires that we, as a church, really dig in to God's Word. That we understand uh, that God's Word is uh, a non-negotiable. It's the foundation upon everything that we do. And if we're going to be vital, if we're going to have good ministry over a long period of time, that ministry has to be grounded in the Word of God. But as we look at our text again in in 2 Timothy 3.16, it begins this way. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. That word, God-breathed, in the original language, do you know that's the first time in all of the Greek language, in all Greek literature, including the Bible, that that word is ever used? That Greek word. Did you know that? Many people think that, that Paul actually was the one who, who created it and first used it. Now, now why did he use that? He wanted Timothy to know that all scripture, the whole counsel of God's word, the entirety of the scripture is God breathed. What does that mean? It means that the word of God literally comes forth from the mouth of God. As if God is speaking because He is. That Scripture is God's Word to you and to me. Scripture is God's Word to the church. Okay? Now that's different than saying, Well, Scripture was written by men who were inspired. Yes, yes. They wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And God used their life experience, their personalities, their use of language. He used all of that, their perspectives. He used all of that as they wrote. But what they wrote is literally God's Word to you and to me. That's how important this is. That we recognize the centrality of God's Word. But then it goes on, it says, all scripture is God-breathing, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Teaching. It's useful for teaching. Do you know that as we learn the Word of God, the Word of God gets into our heart and our life, and the Spirit of God takes that? Right? and causes it to grow and it results in a change of character and a resulting change of conduct. Do you know that the Word of God transforms our lives through the work of His Holy Spirit? And so it's useful in teaching. Uh, The next word there, though, is for rebuking the Word of God. This is what we measure character and conduct by. And when character and conduct, when one's life or one's beliefs and subsequently how they live their life, aren't consistent with this, then what it's saying is the word of God is the judge. It's by what we measure. And it's useful to rebuke. It's a very similar meaning to a passage you may be familiar with in Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. It's coming up on the screen. For the Word of God is alive. It's alive. And it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so the Word of God penetrates our lives and reveals our true character and conduct. It exposes uh, what we believe and how we live those beliefs out in life. Uh, The word of God here is what we measure those things by. It's alive and it's active. And you know what it does? It rebukes us when we need it. It rebukes us when we need it. But then the next word is what? For rebuke and correction you know that word god breathed the first time ever in the greek writing or in in scripture that that word is ever used well this word correct is very similar it's the the only time that it appears in the bible and and you know what it means it means literally when someone has been rebuked and their heart has been revealed hopefully for the for the sake of calling them back into Right, a right relationship with God, a right understanding of how to live, their character and their conduct. Right. Once that happens, then that word correct literally means to take something that's fallen over, pick it up and put it back in its rightful place. Or it's used in the instance of somebody who's stumbled and fallen down, that you would reach out and help them get back on their feet so that we see in the Word of God not only something that reveals our heart and calls us to to life change and, and, and to repentance if our life's not consistent with what it teaches us on how to live, but it also gives guidance for correction. In other words, it helps us right ourselves. It picks us back up. It puts us in our rightful place in relationship to God and other people. It's a wonderful thing it's a wonderful thing. He goes on for correction and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? For every good work. Do you know he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ's return? Do you know that? And do you know that? He equips you through His Word that you might live pursuing Christ's priorities in the world. That's why the Word of God is so central. Uh, I love the psalmist who writes this. Psalm 119, 105. 119, 105. Coming up on the screen. There it is. Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. It illuminates the path, the ways in which we walk and we live as we pursue Christ in his priorities in the world. But then it goes on as we move into chapter 4. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the viewing of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. He says, Preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season. And then he reviews again, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. No pressure, Paul is saying to Timothy, in view of God and Christ and his kingdom, and he's returning to judge. No pressure, but you need to go do this. The word of God needs to be central to all you do, and you need to let the church know that, because that's the only way they're going to withstand the false teaching, the temptation to abandon correct doctrine and teaching, they need to be grounded in the centrality of the Word of God. When I was in seminary, a very good friend of mine was sitting in a class. It was an Old Testament class. And as it went on and on and on, and we learned more and more and more, one day my, my seminary classmate, Terry Risser, who's a leader in the 4 denomination today, he pokes me and he writes on a piece of paper They've taken my Lord, and I don't know what they've done with Him. Okay? In other words, what he was saying is, you know what? This is a lot of academic knowledge and information, but the Word of God is living. It's intended, what? To be alive in our lives. It's intended to link us to our Lord, that we might live for Him in the world. So it's more than just acquiring knowledge. In John 5, 39 through 40, Jesus talking to the Pharisees said this he said you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life these are the very scriptures that testify of me about me yet you refuse to come to me uh, to have life and, and this is something I want to really encourage you in as you recognize the centrality of the Word of God in your life. Yes, the Word of God is useful for, for teaching in doctrine and for knowledge, but that knowledge is intended to be knowledge that leads to what? Life. It's not knowledge for knowledge's sake. That the Word of God is alive in you and in me, and God's intention is... That the end result of that word in our life would be a living relationship with a God who speaks these words to us. Who implants it into our heart that we might live life for Him in the world. That we literally could pursue Christ's priorities in the world. It's not knowledge for knowledge's sake. Okay? I'm convinced. There are a lot of people who know a lot about God but don't know the first thing about living for Christ's priorities in the world. I'm convinced there are a lot of academically minded people who can tell you chapter and verse what the Bible says, give you the historical background and the context. But here's the question. Is that knowledge gone from here to here? Clearly, the apostle Paul is telling Timothy that that knowledge must result in something. In transformation, in new life that's visible in one's character, and their conduct, how they interact and how they live in the world pursuing Christ's priorities. Yes, the Word of God is central. But then there's a second thing here that's really important. Not only that we look at the Word of God as living and active and alive for our lives, it's more than a pursuit of knowledge, but then we come into situations where people call it into question, when they want to argue and debate with us, we need to stand firm on what the Word of God says. I remember a relative one time at a Thanksgiving meal and they were in the kitchen and, and they're saying, Todd, I want to talk to you about something. You mean to say that Jesus Christ is, is God's only way of salvation? And I, well, yeah. But I don't understand that. And she wanted to say, that's not what this person says and that one, that's not what that person says. I said, well, all I can tell you is what the Bible says. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes into the Father but through me. We're saved by grace through faith alone, not through our works. It's an act of God in our life through his mercy through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, that we have new life, forgiveness of sin. And man, she wanted to argue and go round and round and round. And I finally said, listen, your issue's not with me. All I'm telling you is what the Bible says, and that's what I believe. And uh, it's like Acts seventeen eleven. Acts seventeen eleven. There was a group of of, of Jewish believers. They were called Bereans. And it says, now the Bereans were more of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message, the word of God with great eagerness. But what do they do? They examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And we need to be Bereans. We need to examine the scripture. When our beliefs are challenged, we need to come back to scripture and stand on scripture. And finally, there are times in your life and mine when the Word of God and the centrality of that is so important. If, if, if we are not committed to growing and to being nurtured and maturing in God's Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we get to these, these crises of belief, these challenging times when, when we're not quite sure what to do and we're hearing all kinds of voices telling us what we should do. Or how we should live or or how we should approach this issue or that problem. And yet, it comes down to, are we going to stand on the centrality of the word of God and seek God's counsel? All scriptures God breathe is if God is and he is speaking to us. And take him at his word. One of my favorite scriptures. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And what? He will make your paths straight. And there comes a a moment in time in our life, maybe more than once, maybe several times, when we have to say, God, either this is true or it's not. Either I'm going to stand on it or I'm not. Either I'm going to trust you and what you say or I'm not here's the bottom line when, when confronted with the truth of scripture the God breathed word we have a choice either we are going to step back and try to change it to suit what we think or we are going to live into it and let it change us In the Covenant Church, we have a wonderful tradition of standing on the Word of God. In fact, we say, where is it written? Okay? Where is it written? That the Word of God is authoritative in all areas of what we believe in our Christian faith and how we live that faith out. There is no other authority but God's Word. That's why it's central if we're going to what? pursue Christ and his priorities in the world. And so really it comes down to this. The old pastor took a Bible that was destined for the garbage heap, falling apart much the way this one was, but he wanted to use it as an illustration. And so he told his people, you know what happens when issues come up or when we are challenged by other people to believe or to follow other advice other than the counsel of God's Word? You know what happens? We go through it and we read something that just doesn't appeal to us. Maybe it's about how we should love others or forgive our enemies. We say, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I, 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 that can't be right. Uh, or maybe it's about how... uh uh, we should, what? Seek justice for all people. Show compassion and mercy and justice and be God's instruments in the world. But you know, that's too hard, God. It really can't mean that. I'm a suburban person in Alaska in 2014. You really can't mean that. We tear that part out of the Bible, right? Oh, God, you call me to holiness, godly living, godly conduct and character. But God, you don't know how hard it is. God, you really can't mean that I'm not supposed to, to, to live with and sleep with the person I'm gonna marry before I marry them. That, that, that was something back in the old days. That doesn't really, that's not, that, that can't happen today. And so on and so forth. And then the old pastor took the Bible with the pages torn out and said, look what you've done to the Word of God. And so as a congregation, we have to decide. Are we gonna change this book? The living Word of God? To suit our desires and ambitions or our opinions? Are we going to let it change us? Where is it written? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we want to be a healthy missional church. We want to be a church that pursues you and your priorities in the world. Lord, would you help us to stand on the centrality of your word in all areas. Lord, would your scripture in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 be real in all of our lives and the life of this church? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will set our path straight. Lord, we are looking to you at Community Covenant Church to set our path straight, a path of vitality. A path of realizing the ten markers of a healthy missional church. The path, Lord, of pursuing Christ's priorities in the world. May it begin and may it end with the immutable, unchangeable word that you have given us. Father, the flowers fade, the grass withers, but the word of God remains forever. Amen and amen.